0: Welcome back to Binary Orbits, where we get two opposing points of view on what's making the galaxy spin. Today, we're talking fuel. It gets you where you need to go, and lately, it's been a literal free ride. But how long will that last, and what does it mean? With us to discuss the implications are Ward Janosch, marketing representative from the Cryastro service chain.
1: Hi, hi, I'm Ward Janosch. Thanks for
2: having me here, Briel.
0: And Max Stacks, part owner of the Detroit Discount Outlet Store in
2: Nix. Uh, hang on, my brother Pax gave me something to read here. The, the views expressed by me, Max Stacks, are my own and do not necessarily reflect the corporate policy of Stack Supplies LLP Inc. Limited, doing business at Detroit Discount. Uh,
0: Great to have you both. Now, people in the Crusader system are currently enjoying free top-offs for fuel at any Cryostra service station. Mr. Janos, tell me, how is this a sustainable business model?
1: Uh, Well, it it isn't really, but uh, we worked out agreements with our suppliers and we're offering this to our customers as goodwill uh, gesture. Obviously, Will not be uh, permanent, but uh, brand recognition we're getting is uh, undeniable. What's
2: undeniable is how they're screwing over everyone else.
0: (laughs) Uh, How is free fuel screwing over anyone,
2: Max? We got our own suppliers and they don't even bother um, negotiating to acquire fuel anymore. It ain't worth it. We have to give the fuel away to get anyone interested.
0: Well, Mr. Janosch says that might increase your brand recognition.
2: Yeah, but we have to pay peanuts to our suppliers. I want to hear about these agreements their suppliers made. I bet it's all their suppliers too, not just the ones in Crusader. They buy all their fuel at lower price, but they only give it away in Crusader. I gotta admit, it's a good racket. And I can't say I wouldn't do the same thing if I had the opportunity, so props to you there.
1: Uh, this, This is gross misrepresentation of the business model and the practices of the company.
2: Ah, no, don't worry about it. Like I said, it's a good deal. One of my buddies says he heard about this other deal where some outfit was charging people extra for fuel just for pulling in a larger ship. I can assure you that the Cryo
1: Company never instituted a policy that makes people... Depend- no, no, it
2: was way off somewhere else. Some dangerous part of the galaxy were a bunch of elite pilots flying around. Speaking of, you were giving away fuel for land vehicles too, or was that just spaceships?
1: Uh, my understanding is that most of the ground vehicles are battery-powered, charge-off the ship's main- Oh, power right,
2: tank. right. We picked up a few. Remainder gray cats over the years. I just never paid attention.
0: So, Mr. Stax, you believe Cryaster's policy is a good one?
2: Well, it's a good one for them. Sure. Business is business. I mean, Detroit discount is a nix. And I can't tell you how many competitors have come and gone into that system. Our negotiations are probably a bit less stuffy than Mr. Yamash here.
1: Yeah, you did. Vard, Janos. But we're both
2: after the same thing in the end.
1: You need to corner the market. Oh, uh, that, that, really? Now, Mr. Mr. Stax, Cryastro welcomes healthy competition to encourage the, the commerce and economic growth. And we are we're not attempting to establish unfair monopoly in any way.
0: So, which of your competitors are currently present in Crusader, and what is their fuel policy, Mr. Janosch? Um... Pass.
2: So look, if you need a way into the Nixus. System- when
0: we come back, we'll talk to my friend Shem Allen about the effect these fuel discounts are having on the sales of the new Avenger variants. Until then, keep it here on Binary Orbits.
3: This nav check
1: put me at the Grange Point point four.
0: This is control,
1: be radio, keep calm, and remain on the guard frequency.
0: Sits and sieves, Captains and Commanders, you're tuned to the Guard Frequency. And as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one on the guard. This is episode 105 of the Best Damn Space Sim podcast ever and was recorded on Friday, January 29th and made available for download Tuesday, February 2nd over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Lennon. I'm Jeff.
1: And I'm Tony.
2: And what do we have this week, Tony?
1: In this week's Squawk Box, we check out the latest hotness in communications. On the Tech, we see what news from your favorite space sims has landed, as we cover the latest news from Star Citizen, including 10 for the Chairman 75 and Around the Verse 2.16, Elite Dangerous latest dev update and further developments in the Barnacle Saga, news of another new patch pushed for Descent Underground, build 1663, and then Lennon gathers my and Jeff thoughts on single versus multiplayer space sims. This week, we strap Shiv into the Simpod as he reviews the original Wing Commander. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop
2: and let you join in the conversation. And that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Hey, you boys, need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under
1: control. Situation normal. Crypto, 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 this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Lasers. It's the go to weapon of choice for every sci fi franchise, even those with pretensions and delusions of uh, higher science that are really no more than techno babble. I'm looking at you, Star Trek. From Dr. Evil to Darth Vader, if you want something blowed up real good from orbital distances, you want a big ol' gun that shoots light amplified by stimulated emission of radiation, or laser. Now, those guys had it easy because the thing they wanted to hit from an orbital distance was the thing they were actually orbiting, Alderaan from the Death Star or Earth from the Moon. But what if you were flying a tiny spaceship in low planetary orbit trying to hit a tiny spaceship in a high geosynchronous orbit? Sounds like a job for the ghost of a crazy old wizard hermit and a schizophrenic teenager with daddy issues. Or just talk to the European Space Agency. Mere hours ago, as we record this show, they launched the first satellite in the European Data Relay System, or EDRS. Well, it's actually the third component launched, as it joins two low-orbit observer craft launched in the last two years. Those craft contain receivers that collect data from other low-orbit craft via traditional radio, and also laser transmitters, which, until now, had nowhere to transmit to. But with this latest launch, the system finally comes together. The observer craft will no longer have to wait until they fly above a connected ground station to relay data. Now they can beam that data up to the first relay satellite, which can then send the data back down to any location in Europe, Africa, Asia, and Australia. The trick, of course, is getting the data up to the relay. ESA project manager Michael Whitting told BBC News, quote, The difficulty is basically that you have to hit another satellite with your laser beam over a distance of 40,000 kilometers, which is akin to hitting a two-euro coin over the distance of the Atlantic. Oh, and this will really piss Jeff off. What? With a successful connection, throughput will hit speeds up to 1.8 gigabits per second. Oh! I mean, come on. We can shoot lasers across 40,000 kilometers of orbital distance and get you 1.8 gigs and you can't even get four megs. That's 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 rough. Sorry, man.
0: Maybe if uh, Jeff changes to using the euro, we might be able to, though. Because it's only over the
1: Atlantic. Maybe if he held up a two euro sharks coin. Sharks
2: with freaking laser beams! <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. And if you hold up a two euro coin, the sharks with the laser beams on their heads will shoot at it from across the Atlantic. And then you'll get faster internet.
0: I'm sure that's we, exactly what this
1: article was saying. I'm, I'm sure that, yes, that's how I choose to interpret it. Well, to be brutally honest... This was the most interesting thing I found this week. I mean, normally with just a casual browsing of my Twitter feed or hitting the uh, Foxtrot Alpha site uh, on Jalopnik, I love that site, io9 usually has some good stuff. Fark.com has the geek tab in it. I mean, usually there's something that kind of go, huh, that's kind of fun or quirky i even checked up on the scorpion jet you know the, the little fighter jet that i kind of that's my pet my pet jet that i like this week was what i would definitely call a slow news week so this the, the lasers uh sort of won the day it was the most interesting thing i could come up with did you guys hear anything that was like cooler than that not
0: especially no
1: yeah it was like kind of a slow space defense airplane techie geeky week really
0: well, now that these lasers have been connected up, maybe they'll start broadcasting something that we can actually use.
1: Well, the, the uses of this was, was pretty interesting because uh, what they were saying was like, for example, for like a disaster relief or if you have like an earthquake or a flood over a large area and you have those low-flying satellites that take high-res pictures, they do basically the scan on the pass and then you have to wait for them to overfly a ground station that they're connected to, which could be a couple hours and then then it has to get disseminated from the ground station to the local, whoever needs the, the data. Well, with this, the imaging satellite takes the pass, beams it over to one of the satellites that's also in low orbit. That low orbit satellite shoots it up to the geosynchronous one and then it comes straight down. The difference is like hours versus 20 minutes. So you can have not quite real time, but a lot closer to real time, high fidelity satellite imaging of disasters. They're also kind of talking about like infrared imaging for like the smugglers and the poachers we were talking about the other day. Yeah, they could even have applications with that. So it's all about the speed of getting that high resolution imaging back to Earth without having to wait for it to cross past the relay station. Like I said, that's the most interesting I can come up with, and we're still we're still struggling to even have a conversation about it. This is the definition of slow news week. But that's where we need you for good listeners. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. Speed
2: 175, Port Bay, hands-on approach, trigger screen, call the ball. Don't get taken with me.
1: Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for January 29, 2016, 106, 981 thousand, up about 600,000, 1.187 million registered accounts up about 11,000, and 905 ships in the UEE fleet up about 6,000. And speaking of
0: Star Citizen, there was an actual 10 for the Chairman this week, and it provided some interesting insights into how Mr. Roberts is thinking about implementing certain gameplay mechanics. Specifically, he went into detail about griefing and anti-griefing. First, he said that they do know that there is a certain amount of griefing that's currently going on in the Persistent Universe, but that it is entirely intentional. They want to see what kinds of shenanigans everyone is getting up to so that they can design sensible and effective safeguards and deterrents for when things go live. Remember, this is still very much in Alpha. After that, he pretty much guaranteed Tony is never going to be able to take his Connie beyond the orbit of Earth or Terra. As far as piracy and lawless behaviour in the Persistent Universe are concerned, those convoys that everyone is fixing in Crusader right now are going to be a big part of it. If someone starts attacking unprovoked and your distress call or black box is able to connect to a working array, your distress call will be widely broadcast, increasing the chance of receiving NPC and official assistant and of the other person being tagged as a pirate slash scumbag who needs to be hunted down and captured and or murdered. If there's not a working array, however, it means that no record of the incident and therefore no retaliation. Thus, this creates gameplay incentives for lawful citizens to keep them working and for piratical ones to take them down, and could suggest what in-game elements will define lawless behaviour versus lawful space beyond the devs just declaring it so. He didn't rule out the possibility of more artificial nanny-state gameplay limits to combat the worst of the grief income release, but it seems that this convoy reputation distress broadcast mechanic is what he has his hopes on going forward. Finally, just a quick rundown of the things from around the verse of note. John Pritchett, Calix Renault, and Pete McKay discuss the intricacies of the IFCS and Third Order Motion. Jared did an interview with Mark Skelton with all the proprietary and professionalism one would expect from that particular pairing. The Xi'an Scout will be the next hangar-ready ship available in Star Citizen. Backers should have already received a token that will allow them to buy back a pledge that they may have accidentally cancelled, so be sure to check your My Hanger tab in the Account section. And early on in ATV, Ben described a semi-major pricing change for CIG. Up to this point, a $45 package would allow backers access to both Squadron 42 and the Persistent Universe. However, beginning on February 14th, the Squadron 42 game and Persistent Universe of Star Citizen will be offered as separate items. There's currently no word yet on the pricing, or whether a bundle deal will be available at a higher price point, or how much rage and apologies this will generate despite it having hardly any effect on the current backers whatsoever.
1: I have two things that must be addressed here immediately. Okay. Number one, excuse me, I'm going to take my Connie out beyond Earth and Terra. Pardon me, <laughs> copywriter, whoever you may be amongst the Guard Frequency staff.
2: My gracious. I have a Connie, too, you know, so I, I was kind of worried that you were being singled out there. No, 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 that's not Connie owner. I'm just a pansy. I'm just, you know,
1: I'm a self-declared Care bearer, or whatever, whatever I'm supposed to call myself. Okay. But secondly... I think that the split of the Squadron 42 and the Persistent Universe actually does have some ramifications for current backers. I don't think so. Uh, I'm going to blow your mind a little bit here, Jeff. Put on, put on some earmuffs and a headband and then a tight-knit stocking cap because I'm going to blow your mind. and You want to keep your brains as close as possible. They have, and I think we have did this in our predictions episode, we've all kind of agreed that this seems to be the year of Squadron 42, right? Try to get that fixed up, put out the door, and the Persistent Universe will get only as much attention as it needs to get to test the elements of Squadron 42 and and to support that aspect of the game's development. It seems to me that what we're seeing here is even more of a separation of those two components of the game. Such that you start to wonder how much of a redheaded stepchild the Persistent Universe is actually going to be for a while, and how much they're really going to be focusing on that first person campaign element, and when that Persistent Universe might actually become more realized. You know, and I'm, I'm throwing this out here as a suggestion for debate, of course, but it may be that the more they work to bring Squadron 42 closer, the more they're letting the eventual development and release of the Persistent Universe slip back.
2: I don't think that's the case. Even they said in ATV that if you wanted to, to back, back now before this, this new packaging scheme comes on in play. And I think backers themselves are not going to be affected by this situation whatsoever. I think that going forward, people not hearing the news are going to be awed by the fact that this has been broken up. Got to remember when, I, when we first heard about this, that... Squadron 42 was going to be the next wing commander game from Chris Roberts, and that there was going to be a persistent universe to continue playing in that. But it wasn't, you know, the main focus of things, and it and it's grown. Yes, it, it's taken a life of its own, but I think that was the natural. We were all talking about it early that this was going to be the natural progression of it. You know that this persistent universe was just hopefully didn't become born out of a single game play campaign style thing but that there would actually be some thought and purpose behind it I don't think that they're losing focus on it I think that what I've seen currently of their staffing they've got people dedicated to the Persistent Universe and they got people dedicated to Squadron 42 and I think their resources are well matched to produce both in a timely fashion
0: yeah I think it's very much more that they're hedging their bets that they're going to be able to get basically more crowdfunded money this way Splitting Squadron 42 and Star Citizen out would seem like a sensible way to go with that, especially as this is going to be the year that Squadron 42 is released. You're going to be able to then just sell that one product, possibly via Steam or the like, without having to give away the Persistent Universe as well. One thing that I am curious about, though, is at this point, I I know what Jeff was saying about how the original crowd campaign was for funding Squadron 42, but I personally feel that Star Citizen, the Persistent Universe, is the thing that everybody has heard of and that everybody wants and i feel that that is what most people will actually be looking for
2: oh i i agree with you i i'm not disagreeing with that point however i will i will add one comment there i i think what they're doing is that they're looking for another money stream and i think that their ship builds are probably going to take longer because they're devoting so many resources to these two that they're ships that they have been counting on for this consistent influx of money is going to slow down as they are um, developing for these two products.
0: Right. But what I was going to say with the split of Squadron 42 and Star Citizen, it is, like you said, definitely an extra source of revenue. I'm just wondering if it's actually going to i I don't know how to describe what i'm feeling i don't want to say it feels underhanded because that's possibly the completely wrong term to use but i feel that it's almost using squadron 42 now to like hook somebody in once the finished game is out and oh by the way pony up more for the persistent universe which is the thing you actually probably want
2: i also agree with that because i i think this is a uh, wrong move i mean Originally, it was Persistent Universe Squadron 42 as a package deal. Uh, this is what you're helping to fund and develop. And you know, I don't think it will affect any of the new uh, the backers uh, currently. Uh, I think they're going to get both products. But I think it's kind of cheese mode to, to, to split these two products apart. I think everyone would have been more comfortable if they'd waited to do this
1: until something was released. Whether it was Squadron Forty Two, it's like okay, you know the hammer's coming down now, kids. We've got Squadron Forty Two out as a released game. Anybody that backed before now is an early adopter, is a you know a believer, whatever you want to call it. You put your money into the project before you knew there'd be a thing. So congratulations. As a bonus, you get the extra gameplay. I think that people would have been more comfortable if they'd waited.
2: Well, think about it this way though. I, I'm a closet gamer, uh, or in the closet gamer, and I'm not really into MMOs. And I just want Squadron forty two. Yeah, I could choose not to play it, but I really don't want it on my computer and, and you know, I don't do online games and and I just want Squadron forty two. Or the reverse of that and say I'm not interested in the campaign mode, all I want to do is MMO. I don't see them lowering the price significantly after they split it. Right, I don't either, and that's what I think is so chismo about it.
0: Yeah, and I also think, honestly, if you were to go out and grab a random person off the street and say, hey, what do you think of Squadron 42? They'd probably say, what? Huh? If you said, hey, what do you think of Star Citizen? They would instantly know, you know, pretty much, If at least if they're in the gaming sphere related. Yeah. They would probably know what you're talking about, even if they don't have a hardcore or even mildly vested interest in it. You know, Star Citizen is the title that carries. Squadron 42, I think, is a complete unknown.
2: And are they going to market differently? Are, they, are we going to get a Squadron 42 page only? Or... You know, are, are you know? We well, kind go- of
0: got that at the moment.
2: This is what I was saying. I mean, they are. I really do
1: think they are divorcing the two, as you pointed out, Jeff. Before it was buy early access or support the development of Wing Commander's successor. And if we raise enough money, as an extra added bonus, you'll have access to this persistent universe. Now as time has gone on, I think Lennon's correct, and, and at least it is for me personally. I jumped in at the idea of a persistent universe to go explore and trade and build your personal reputation and your ships and, and buy an outfit and kit uh, weapons and things. That's the part that really excited me. The campaign will be fun. I'm sure I'll enjoy it and I'll play it, but it's not the main attraction. Now we're here, and as you say, Jeff, petering out on the ship sales maybe or we're running out of things in the pipeline. We've got to keep the wheels of commerce turning this is a thing they can do to uh, address that and i think it's
2: too early elite dangers latest dev update has been released this time addressing the upcoming changes to AI behavior with patch 2.1 in order to make the npc pilots respond to a more realistic fashion they've adjusted the behavioral curves meaning npc ships and lower levels will make more mistakes when flying in and in combat But NPC ships at higher levels will make less mistakes and try to emulate player behavior a lot better. Some of the more noteworthy changes are they will use missiles and torpedoes more effectively, especially at higher levels, waiting until their target shields are down before using them. The higher ranked the pilot, the more damage they will try and avoid to increase their chances of survival. NPCs will no longer use energy weapons if their heat levels are too high. Frontier also wanted to give us a bit of a heads up for certain commanders out there, saying, for all commanders who rely on flying their ships in reverse, the more skilled AI have learned a new response to counter it. You've been warned. And finally, a brief entry into the ongoing Barnacle Saga, The community responded enthusiastically to the request for samples to be brought to Obsidian Orbital, where over the past couple of months the station has been having some technical issues. Although the cause has been identified the unknown artifacts previously discovered, it is not yet known if the meta-alloys will be able to counteract those harmful side effects.
1: Well, this is just terrible news for me, because the last thing I need is smarter AI.
2: Do you fly a ship in reverse?
1: No, no. In in my early days, I was. When you progress up, you have to occasionally do these assassination missions. And at a, as a lower level pilot, you have to take on a larger ship with a potentially higher rated AI pilot in it. And I would take out Imperial Clippers in my Viper by doing that. I would fly in reverse and and just and just basically kite the bigger ship uh, until uh, the, you know exploded. So. I'm I'm terribly disappointed to find out that they've can, that they're going to do some new tactic.
2: What what would that new tactic be? Probably strafe or or maybe I don't know. Clipper's a pretty fast ship, so I don't know that you're going to outfly it. But um, they could boost ahead of you and then come around and and come up from your behind us. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: I suppose. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm interested to see I'm interested to see what uh, what little what little tactic. I mean, it seems like a hard thing for a, an AI to sort of counteract effectively, because you could, like I said, you could strafe, but then that's just a matter of doing your turret and space thing and just, you know.
2: Well, remember, Yaw yaw, in Elite Dangerous is nothing like it is in... That's in, true. Uh, that's in, true. In, uh, you, you could
1: probably, a ship could probably translate or strafe a lot faster than I could keep up with the Yaw. But if I have gimbaled weapons...
2: Yeah, I, I kind of wish these two would get their physics, you know, straightened out, because I, I don't know why Yaw <laughs> is gimped in uh, Elite. We we've had this
1: discussion, haven't we? Maybe not you and yeah. me particularly, but I thought we've had this discussion about why yaw is gimped in elite, and why that's actually it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that was that was a while ago, but yeah, we did. Yeah, and and, and my 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 theory is basically that when you engineer a ship to handle g forces and the way the human body is engineered to handle g forces, it's better in the vertical plane. If you want you want to pull back on the stick and have g forces pressing you into your seat, if you yaw or take or do lateral g's. That is, you're basically, you'd have to engineer your ship to be able to handle both vertical and lateral stresses, and that would be more of an
2: engineering challenge. And that's what inertial dampeners and, and, oh, yeah, this is not Star Trek.
1: Yeah, Yeah, not Star Trek. No, no, they have (laughs) lasers, not phasers. Yeah, here, exactly. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense to sort of, you say, gimp uh, a rotation in at least one, if not two, uh, of the two of the three axes. So that makes a lot of sense to me to do that.
0: Yeah, just going back to the tactic about what they could use, though, the real question that you've got to ask is, why would they continue to attack you if you're running away? All they have to do is not chase and force you to come to them. Yeah. So if they reverse, yeah. then you have no choice but to go forward if you need to kill them. If not, then, you know,
2: they survive for another day, as do you. I still think the best tactic is get up behind them, and, and if you are if you can match their speed, they'll never, you know. This is, this is presuming they don't have the faster ship because you know, if
1: they're if they if they do the reverse, if they boost up to whatever their max is and and just free fly, you know, do Oh do free. Yeah, fly I mean
0: and... provided they can catch you, but that's obviously that's how it is now. If they yeah. can catch you, they're gonna catch you. And I think that's the thing, is that you were able to fly backwards just a little bit ahead of what they were able to keep up with, but still within, you know, weapons range in order to get them to chase you and keep you permanently at this particular distance. Whereas what they're saying now is that they're going to make a change to that. Obviously, if the ship that you were attacking could catch up to you, they would have
1: done it. Would, I'm just interested to see what happened, and I have never been able to effectively use missiles or torpedoes. I just they just even with shields down, it's just like they don't do much. I'm just I, 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 they're mostly useless as far as I'm concerned. Is that
0: their rank mostly useless?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yes, yes. Torpedoes <laughs> mostly useless. Fifteen thousand space bucks a shot too, and you can like carry really? two of them, and they nice. don't do a whole lot. I, you know, just never had any fun with them. I've
0: never even used them, so...
1: Yeah, I, I can't recommend that you do.
2: Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I find that missiles and whatnot to be a little bit... Uh, I was playing in Star Citizen uh, earlier this week, and it was like, boy, these missiles are just so ineffective. Maybe that's partially by design if you're trying to capture the... World War II fighter flavor. You'd want the
1: consumables as far as the the ballistic weapons. You want those to be probably the most fun and effective, followed by the lasers.
2: Well, I mean, if you think about it, in a a 21st century idea, I mean, one missile can literally bring down another aircraft, right? But you don't carry a 12-pack of them. You carry, you know, three or four, and you use them sparingly. And with missiles, if you, you want to try to evade
1: them. If you get hit by one, you're out of the fight. You may survive the hit, but you are no longer combat effective. Right. You need to head for the shed as soon as has that, that happens. But you know, with the spa with shields and, and whatnot and, and tweaking how they track and that kind of stuff. They may hit you more often, but they may not be quite as devastating if you do get hit by them. And what we're saying missiles are tough. They're tough to balance in, in in a game when the aesthetic you're going for is a World War II dogfight. They're they're tough to balance.
2: One thing that they said in this patch that's not in the notes here is that they're going to fix. You know how the pythons and the anacondas would sit there and spin and twirl. And, oh, that's my favorite thing. I know. They're going to fix that. Oh, <laughs> oh,
1: don't fix that. That's the that's my favorite thing. You shoot you shoot the NPC and it just starts spinning in space. It yep. just sits there and lets you shoot it. Yep. And it's like yay free kill. And Oh, well. And once again, Descent Underground has pushed forward their latest offerings onto the Proving Grounds, the name for Descent's Alpha Phase, in a relatively short dev update entitled New Map, Trading Cards, Combat Changes, and More in Taichito. I like that pronunciation. I'm going to use it from now on. There's not a really a whole lot left to the imagination. So here's what you can expect from 1663. New Map, Micro Tycho, the heart of a large ice mining station.
0: Afterburner fuel is now available as a
2: power-up in all of the maps. A new game mode, a last man standing map called King of the Core.
1: Vulcan cannon rounds now spread a bit as they travel and they travel faster.
0: Laser cannon shots also travel much faster, this has been dubiously explained by the addition of
2: Liquid Schwartz, which
0: I hope will be available as a power-up.
2: Laser bolts now change color at every level, presumably independent of the presence of Liquid Schwartz.
1: Missile fire rates have been halved, possibly due to the loss of liquid Schwartz pressure. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, mm. you can tell it's Rob. You can tell Rob's writing these patch notes. Yeah, uh, a little bit. Liquid Schwartz. The
2: Schwartz is not with him.
1: But yeah, no. Descent's clipping right along there. That's uh, again incre- incremental progress. This is, I think, this is what we would have preferred to see. Uh, you know, for, uh, for the Star Citizen thing. You know, just uh, they're they're coming along with it now, but Descent seems to have established this as a as a pretty regular clip
0: yeah and if you notice as well descent are apparently also having problems with their missiles so they're yes. just the rate of fire and, and so forth so yeah missiles mis- are tricky yeah it must be if when you think about it even the name doesn't really sound accurate hitiles are probably what you want <laughs> <laughs>
2: but now it's time for news we didn't use Star Citizen Alpha 2.1.2 has been released to the PTU.
0: That will be 1 plus 1 plus 2 plus 1, not 1 plus 2 plus 1 plus
2: 1. No new features, just more bug and stability fixes. E
1: Valkyrie now has entered multiplayer alpha check out the first impressions link in our show notes
0: pulsar lost colony patch beta 6 is out now featuring the research system
2: Evercron legacy 1.0118 update is now featuring changes to insta-death when firing on or near a station
1: and x rebirth home of light in patch 4.0 due to drop in the next week or two Oh, I'm enjoying Pulsar Lost Colony. It's fun. I think isn't that's it? a fun game. Yes, I do. There's not a lot to do with it right now. It truly is sort of a beta product, but that is a worthy successor to the Artemis cooperative game, and I hope kind of a model of what's to come with both Star Citizen and the Elite Dangerous multi crew. It's it, it's kind of it's a fun little game. Highly recommend.
0: Yeah, it's a nice little breed of like you said, Artemis. I sensed sense a little bit of FTL in there as well. Mm. That was mm-hmm. quite fun and some FPS mechanics. So yeah, it, it's really good fun and it's quite cheap at the moment as well.
1: I wouldn't say quite cheap. Well, it is over here. It's, well, okay. We well, yeah, lucky you, Mister Conversion Rate, and your Yay. your your Gwinnies and your pence and whatnot. It's a little pricey, I think, for the stage of the development that it's in. But the fun factor that I've been getting out of it has made up for it. There's not so much with the features, but I think there's enough there with the replayability. I think uh, is there at least for me for now.
2: I, I don't know how you guys can. I, I don't know. I like good graphics in my games. I just it's a little. Key. It's
1: it's a theater of a mind thing, I Jeff. Know, you know, it's I a know. suspension of disbelief thing. I, I get it. The the graphics.
2: My suspension subpar. doesn't go that far. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I, there there's no two ways about it. Pulsar Lost Colony as far as the the ship interiors and the avatars subpar. No two ways about that. There's just not
0: but gameplay.
1: The, the gameplay is good and the visuals uh the space visuals are they're fine. They're not great, but um they're fine. And and again, the benchmark I'm comparing it to is Artemis, which I mean really looks dated right now. So, it's 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 a definite improvement above Artemis, but you can tell that the development budget and energy is definitely going into sort of gameplay mechanics and uh, the mini games involved in doing stuff, not graphics.
2: Well, I just, I expected the Legend of Zelda theme music to pop up when I, when I...
1: (laughs) (laughs) You have found a bow and arrow. Yeah, exactly. And a flute.
0: Honestly, the way the Zelda franchise is going, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the next entry.
1: Could be, yep.
0: Over the last couple of weeks, you may have noticed that we've had a few debates on the show, and as they seem to be mildly successful, and we here at Guard Frequency not only know a good thing when we see it, but we also know how to milk it until the last drop comes out. So, gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us single-player versus multiplayer space sims. I'm going to give each of you 30 seconds to present your case, and then a further 30 seconds to reply. As a result of a coin flip, Tony, you're up first, and Jeff is second. So, Tony, tell me, why is it better for The Deep Black to be pretty lonely?
1: Well, Lennon, I'll tell you. It's because the space sim has its roots in great first-person games like Wing Commander, like X-Wing, like X-Rebirth. These are games from the early, early days of computer gaming, back when you had to use a phone to dial up a bulletin board service if you wanted to get online. I think it's true to the genre if it's something that you played as a story by yourself.
2: Tony, you ignorant slut, don't you know that the space sim needs other players to come out of the deep black and pummel you with their lasers and and fire missiles at you and and basically make your gameplay really a total disaster.
1: Jeff, the problem there is that when you're doing a space sim, you're supposed to be simulating the universe around you. If you introduce other independent variables in there, like other players, the simulation gets out of control. It's no longer a space simulation. It's another universe and that it has to be modeled. Behavior has to be taken into account of. Metagaming happens. Griefing and all this other stuff. It's not a space sim anymore. It becomes another microcosm, another universe.
2: Tony, you ignorant slut. Don't you realize that all those hours that you did spend gathering those resources and crafting that awesome battle cruiser could be just taken away from you in 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 seconds? Because you are in an environment that allows other people to just come and target you for no other reason than just because you're there.
1: I think Jeff, that that, did did you you're, you're supposed you sounded like you like. Were on my
2: side. Yeah. Oh no, no, no! I was not on your side. Oh, okay. I, I was explaining the benefits. I was touting the benefits of multiplayer. Those are the benefits of multiplayer. I, I, I sensed. <laughs> correct me if I am wrong. Yeah. Correct me if I am
1: wrong. But I sensed a great, a great, a great deal of sarcasm uh, associated with the with the points you were purveying. I, tell well, me if sarcasm, I'm wrong. Sarcasm, Jeff. Jeff?
0: No, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So okay, all right. Well, I think I think it's safe to say that uh, that that perhaps the two thirds of guard frequency that you heard from here might be slightly more in favor of a, a single player sim environment, perhaps. Uh, but given the fact that maybe we, we didn't zealously represent both sides, Lennon, would you would you do you care to weigh in on the, on the multiplayer? or Are you going to join the other two thirds here?
0: Uh, no, I was going to suggest I swap places with Jeff, and uh, we see how that goes. Um, <laughs> I actually uh, really like the multiplayer aspect of it because i like the fact that humans are random that no matter how good your ai can get it is never going to equate to playing the game with other humans in the universe and for that real sort of sense of virtual world virtual universe that making it feel like it is a real thing that you're in the whole escapism thing i think you need other players to be able to do that and yes you do have to take the risk that you will lose your ship that you will lose your crafting materials that there are always going to be complete asshats in whatever you play in a multiplayer environment but on the flip side you've got all the good things you've got all those experiences that you'll earn when you're teaming up with your friends you know when you go on a real epic mission that just unfolds in ways you completely didn't expect and you know you sort of end up in a situation but you manage to pull yourself out of it at the last minute and it's those kinds of experiences and stories that really stick with you throughout the rest of your life pretty much and so that's why personally i think that multiplayer is always better than single player
2: i i am not against multiplayer i am not if i was a psychology major and i wanted to write a paper i would definitely do it on the people in multiplayer <laughs>
1: Well, actually, actually, this is a this is a good point. It's not the people in multiplayer that want to play cooperatively. It's the people in multiplayer that are that overemphasize the competitive multiplayer's part of it. I think Lenin. Well, Lenin's examples were that a cooperative effort to overcome some odds, whether it's presented against uh, you know, human players or against the uh, NPC environment. That's where a lot of the fun of having multiplayer is
2: then that's why we have guilds and organizations and clans and all that other stuff in in multiplayer for like-minded people to join together and overcome obstacles and stuff but it's this whole mentality of the pvp you gotta have pvp and multiplayer you have to have it i mean that's the mentality a lot of people i mean god if you think a game producer was going to come out and say there's going to be no pvp in this multiplayer game nobody would ever join it or at least that's what the the hardcore people think I don't know what it is about the human psyche, but they have to, you know, sit behind their their screens and be anonymous and go out and make other people's days um, miserable. It's a complete total fact. And I just I, I don't understand it. I never will. So it's that, it's that balance between competition and
1: cooperation I think that makes gaming and real life work. I just think that in a video game, the referees of that video game need to be particularly cognizant that the fact that we're using our free time and we're entertaining ourselves. This should be fun.
0: Oh, yeah, and the other side of that whole thing as well is that in real life there are real consequences and I'm not saying that we should right. actually you know throw people in jail for breaking this space law but in real life if you were to go next door and mess with your neighbor's stuff they would call the police the police would arrive even if you escape the police they'll probably find you eventually and when they do they will sentence you in some particular fashion and if you were to do the um, translate from a video game into real life if you were griefing you were hanging around outside of the Walmart waiting for people to come out with all their goods and then you'd murder them and take their goods you would end up going to prison for quite a long time and those sort of ramifications you don't get in a game they won't ban you for killing another player which would be the effectiveness of going to jail you know removing you from the society they just won't do that and unlike in real life there's always the option that you just create a new account and on you go You know, in real life, you can't just think, well, I'm just going to leave this life in jail and I'll start another one. So the real lack of consequences allows people to get away with things that they wouldn't consider otherwise. I think if the consequences were a lot more severe, then it might make people think twice.
2: And that's what I get. Uh, You know, if you're not going to have that kind of system, don't give us a death mechanic that's going to mean, you know, when you're dead, you're dead. If you're not going to have some type of consequence for being a really bad, I mean, not, not, I'm going to pirate you True pirating is, Hey, drop your cargo and, and, uh, you know, go on your way or fight me and, and save your cargo. That that's, you know, but I'm talking about the real griefers out there. If you're not going to have a mechanic that prevents them from doing that, don't have a death mechanic. That's going to make that just even that much more painful. If you're going to have a persistent universe, that's going to be as real as possible make the punishments fit the crimes, which is as real as possible. Well, that's our take on it. So this week's community
0: question is, single-player or multiplayer space sims, can you have a living, breathing universe whilst playing solo, or does it need that unpredictable human touch? Let us know your thoughts. Send us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com.
1: Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's strap Shiv into the sim pod as he reviews Wing Commander.
2: Roger to bridge if you
4: need me, I'll be in holodeck for Welcome to SimPod, I'm the Justin Lomaster Shiv, and here to talk about the iconic space game Wing Commander, I have my friend and first tabletop D&D Game Master, Stuart LeStu Boyles. How are you, Stu?
3: I'm great!
4: Well, this week we're going to discuss our thoughts on the game Wing Commander by Chris Roberts. He's a pretty good game designer, you should check him out. But first, a bit of history. Released for the
3: first time on September 26, 1990, Wing Commander won Computer Gaming World's Game of the Year in 91, also listing Wing Commander's funeral cutscenes as one of the 15 best ways to die in video games.
4: Over the next six years, the game was ported to several systems, such as the Amiga and 3DO, and Mission Packs and Wing Commander 2 and 3 were also released in that time frame. The first Wing Commander novel, by Mercedes Lackey and Ellen Guon, was also written. It's been a while since you played, but what's your memory of the game, Stuart? Cats. I remember the cats.
3: No, seriously, I would play this game on a Super Nintendo. I think they had a port of it on the Super Nintendo. And I would play at my friend's house, and he had two cats. Their little ears would pop up in the middle of the screen, so if you were trying to shoot something, you would not really do it again.
4: If there were no cats in the way, would you play it again now if you had the chance?
3: Yeah, I actually bought the
4: good old game's... .com bundle. I more recently played the game, and I enjoyed the challenge of the game. I played it when I was a kid, too, on a 486. And I think I, I played it all the way to completion, the base at the end. And I remember trying to play it again sometime later, but the newer computer made it impossible. Everything just went super quick. Thankfully, DOSBox compensates for that now. I was able to use the DOSBox remapping to assign many joystick buttons to the keys, which made it possible to get more out of my joystick. I had poor results trying to get the Steam Controller to work with Wing Commander 2, so I think I'll just have to stick to my stick for that game. Which may be on a future simpod. One of the things I didn't do was explore all the branching missions, I can't think of any other games at the time that did that, but I was only 6 when it released, but I was likely older when I actually played it. I think the game holds up, it was no less fun of a game for being 25 years old.
3: Yeah, I concur with that. One of the things I like about good old games is that they throw in, like, it's not just the .exe file of the game, right, it's all like the books that you could get, the maps and all that sort of stuff, and they really make it like you had that stuff in your collection from a
4: million years ago. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that. The manuals there, the schematics. I remember being inspired to draw spaceships in church during the sermon Well, I was listening, of course. Uh, But yeah, I love just seeing the stuff I remember when I was a kid. Even though it was digital, it was still there. And that's why they're good old games. Well, thanks for joining us, Stu, on the SimPod. Don't forget, you can get Wing Commander Games for a good price on good old games. While powering down the SimPod here, simulants are signing out. And now let's tune into the feedback loop and hear what you have to say. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly!
1: Some say he thinks flying Doritos are a type of nocturnal bird, and that there's a Russian airport named after him. But all he knows is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. What makes a space sim? Is it all about the technical simulation, or having a stick between your legs to grasp? Well, Ostron says
0: that he comes down more on the space side and less on the sim side of things. If it's got spaceships that can navigate three dimensions, and the game's primary focus is using that ship, or possibly even a few ships, to accomplish directives, he's happy with including it in the fold. All of the Newtonian physics and orbital mechanics are kind of take it or leave it for him, and ditto on the input control options. Though, if it's having you use fighters, he prefers the joystick option.
1: Sayoldian writes in and says, Well, okay, you guys are back in my good graces. You've certainly taken the show to the next level. I like the SimPod segment, and the timing and pacing of your content is really good. Community question, I may be a little biased, and this answer is certainly very subjective, but I'll just keep it simple. Space Sim equals Star Citizen. Done. Ken
2: from Chicago writes in and says, The core feature of a space sim is simulated space flight, not combat. The Kerbal Game Stars, space flight, not space flights.
0: Adon writes in and says, I meant to write in last week about VR because I'm a bit of an enthusiast when it comes to that, so I'll keep it very brief here. You brought up the point that I was going to put in my feedback this week. The porn industry has chosen formats and pushed technology more than almost any other industry from a mass consumer standpoint at least. I've done some... research into this and it is definitely something here to stay i would say as to how many games companies develop for it i don't know but i hope it is a lot system requirements should go down as the tech gets better and general systems become more powerful overall i'm very optimistic for the future of vr and tony you ignorant slut input doesn't dictate if something is a space sim or not however i will say in the history of games itself flying your spaceship typically into combat is one of the defining factors of the genre I think that we should open up the definition to any game that is in some way about simulating space to be interacted with in some manner. While EVE is not a game I'm interested in playing, I would define it as a space sim. In general, I think weeks like this is when your new format really shines. There wasn't a lot of Star Citizen news, so that segment can just shrink and you're not at a loss for things to say. Keep up the good work.
1: And Sean Newboy says, wonderful show everyone. Thanks Sean Newboy, always count on you. I, I'll take my lumps on that one. I, but I really do think that if it's going to be a space sim, there needs to be a little of the the jockey, you know, the fighter jock part of it. Star Trek Online, not really a space sim. You can play it with a joystick, but the feel they're going for is a tall ship's sort of a combat. So it's close to the line, but I think it's pretty clearly over the line that it's not a space sim. Same with EVE. You know, you maybe could control one of those ships with a joystick. I don't know if you can or not, but... It's not the feel they're going for.
2: Well, simulation is the imitation of the operation of real-world processes or systems over time. The act of simulating something that first requires that a model be developed, this model represents the key characteristics and behavior functions of a selected physical or abstract systems or processes. So, using that... Okay, professor. Using that, I agree that... Probably the input type was not the best way to define what is a sim or what is not a sim. To me, a simulation is something that gets at processes or simulates a real world effect or and I know it's in space. I, we're not out in space. We don't have a lot of feedback on on what it's like to live in space. But as simulating that idea, With Newtonian physics and from a first person's perspective, regardless whether you use a keyboard mouse, a HOTUS, a Steam controller, whatever, you are seeing things from a point of view that is not a side scroller or you're looking from the outside of your ship in a third person view. That is not a simulator, that's just a space game. And I do want to make sure that we define it because it's going to define... I think us as, a, as, as what we want to play, and I mean, not everybody really has the same definitions, but, you know, there are space games and there are space sims, just like aircraft. I mean, Microsoft Flight Combat, I have all the Jane's series of helicopters and flight sims. Those are simulators. Those are what pilots train on. So I'm pretty across the line on this. Uh, when it comes through that. I think think uh, out
1: of the three of us, Jeff might have the strictest definition. I'm sorry, let me go. Yeah,
0: like you were saying, the debate is we just pick sides at random. The opinions that we give are not necessarily our actual views on it, but in the interest of creating the debate, one has to be for, one has to be against. So my actual view on Space sim is that I think it comes down a lot to not necessarily input method, but effectively how much manual control you have over the ship that you are flying. So for example, something like uh, Star Citizen, you know, if you have a joystick and you push left, the ship moves left. You push right, it moves right. You've got the full thrusters and physics model. That's great. So there's a lot of manual control there. Something like Eve, for example, you point and click, and what that's supposed to then simulate is your captain giving orders to all of the crew, you know, I'll lock onto this nav point, engage the drum drive to X percent, move out of this rate of throttle. But you're not manually controlling that. You're basically giving an order. So I feel that that steps slightly outside of the definition because of the lack of manual control. Something like Kerbal, on the other hand, even though it's not done with a joystick, it is still the point-and-click interface, the amount of manual control that you have puts it back into the simulation object because there are real consequences to controlling craft in a certain way. If you decide to point your ship slightly off orbit in EVE it doesn't matter. Your ship will stay outside of the planet. You do that in Kerbal, you could find yourself in the atmosphere burning up because of a slight miscalculation in your flight
1: vector. So if we take Professor Jeff's definition that he read off earlier, and the core or the base of a simulation is, in fact, the model, and then Lennon's observation that it's the granularity of control you have over the inputs to that model. Using the EVE example, I can click on the screen somewhere and my ship will turn that way, but I can't tell. I would like to use only 30% of my thrust capability to make this turn to simulate damage so that my opponent believes that I'm I'm turning, that I don't have as much of a turn capacity as I actually do. You know, you can't use the granularity you have in the model to enhance or flavor your tactics and your your strategies that you're using to to accomplish your objectives. Let's work with that. I think cuz that can take into account things like we've had discussions about uh this would be a good one to have it over like a pulsar, You know, that's definitely, as we were saying, that's definitely not what you would do as a stick and throttle space sim sort of a thing. But as a member of the crew, I can flip a lot of switches and turn stuff off and on and divert power over here. And if my engine's overheating, I have a coolant controller that I can control a high or a low rate of coolant to bring that temperature down. I can shut systems off in the engineering department also, to conserve power. Also, remember
2: power. what you're simulating. You are simulating yourself in a space shuttle-like craft I think it's also what you're trying to simulate. In a fighter jet, you may have one type of control, but you're still in a simulation. Yet, if you're on the bridge of the Enterprise, even the bridge of the Enterprise had helm control. You know, you had input, yeah. you, you know. So like in your Pulsar game, if you had that kind of buttons and interfaces, then then yes, you're, you are in a simulation.
1: Do either of you guys ever play Bridge Commander? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think that was a Star Trek game that was more in the fuzzy gray area yeah. of the space sim yeah. because you really could divert power to different systems. You could shut down your shields, increase power to sensors to increase your detection range. The helm control really was a manual point the ship down 30 degrees right.
2: turn left. Right. Turn. I, mean, I I mean, it, so okay. it was what I was hoping that STO would be back when, in the perpetual days when I right. got so excited about it.
0: Yeah, and just uh, another thing as well. I think that another good measuring stick is also how abstract the various systems are specifically the concept of hit points if yeah. it employs the concept of hit points or hull strength or whatever you want to term it that's probably not that much of a simulator because that's abstracting uh, what should be either localized or like overall damage is fine but having having a health meter would usually dictate you you wouldn't be able to see a health meter in real life on your ship. Yes, you'd know it was falling apart because things would be sparking and bits would be drifting I, off in your
2: weapons. I work. disagree with that. I think you would have a health meter on your ship, you know, the computer saying, you know, we're taking damage in the app section or right. I, I'm Yes, not. that side of it. But you wouldn't
0: have on your HUD a progress bar that fills down depending on your structural integrity. Because in a proper simulation, a very
2: well placed right. shot right. Okay. to I, a particular
0: system could just rupture everything.
2: No new Patreon subscribers this week, but the winners of a brand new patch are
1: Robbie O'Brien, all right confession time so last week we set up this contest and then had a work week from hell and didn't follow up on some things that i should have so we're gonna restart it start all over again pretend like last week never happened and this week watch for the tweets last week was an alpha yeah so we're gonna do that and this is spectrum personality carrie kerrigan with a special announcement we've got a super prize for everyone who's made it all the way to the end of the show Paul Watson has generously given us some codes to unlock a little crew for the theater of your mind. Guard Frequency is kicking in a free copy of Voice Attack to bring those characters to life. All you have to do to be eligible to win this fabulous prize is favorite and retweet our tweet. We'll draw two names each week for three weeks. Winners will receive the voices of Astra, Dark, and Leo, who is voiced by Norman Lovett, who you may know as Holly from Red Dwarf. Finally, the ship's cat will join you, and don't forget, a free copy of Voice Attack will be provided to you to power them all up. Be sure to follow at GuardFreak on Twitter, and watch for a tweet from us mentioning at packs. Thanks for listening. And a reminder of this week's community question, single player or multiplayer space sims? Can you have a living, breathing universe while playing solo, or does it need that unpredictable human touch? sounds like a lawsuit would need to happen. Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. So, how's the show? Are you glad we let you in on the action or would you rather we were all in our own instances? Either way, let us know. Here's some ways you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on this show's post over at guardfrequency.com?
2: Or hit us up on Twitter at guardfreak or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash guardfreak. If you're old school like us, shoot an email to
0: schoolguy@guardfrequency.com.
1: You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings
0: us to the end of episode 105 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 106 on February 9th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over on our website, guardfrequency.com.
2: But that's not all! You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not really doing anything on Friday nights, then just come on right over and join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT.
1: Do you like what we do? Want to come help us make the best damn Space Sim podcast ever? Drop an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, guardfrequency.com, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just a buck twenty-five, you get access to all the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly drawing to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope you consider making a regular contribution because the more support we get, the better show we can make.
2: Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under call sign sections for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network.
0: Thanks to our community manager, Justin Shiverybean-Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Chorlton-Edwards, our staff writer, Jeff Grant, and our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkies for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkies.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely.
2: Reduce thrust.
1: Time to three three zero carel one five. <laughs> Squawk seven seven zero zero. Stay on the curve. Oh, I always forget that I go first on this part.
0: And could suggest what in-game elephant... elephants? (laughs) In-game
2: elephants. (laughs) I've been looking forward to the in-game elephants. (laughs) That would be the Connie, right?
0: He also didn't rule out the possibility of more artificial nanny state gameplay limits to combat the most egregious... wow, there. He also didn't rule out the possibility of more artificial nanny... Nanostate. Nanostate. I know, my face is just not working today. He didn't rule out the possibility of more artificial nanny state gameplay limits to combat the most the egreg- oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Most bad.
2: Yeah, that's where I'm going Egregious this. Egregious
1: is like, yeah, that's that's a mouthful.
2: I know. It's early where you are. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Elite Dangerous' uh, latest dev update has been released, this time addressing the upcoming changes to AI... Ugh, let me try that again. Elite Dangerous' latest up...
1: Uh, uh, Audio editor note, we need a sound bite of that noise, whatever it was.
2: Is that supposed to be a play on Gentile? Uh, No, Miss Isle. You know, with the liquid schwartz and...
0: (laughs) what oh mm. Mm. i didn't catch that angle, sorry, but sorry, yes Jeff, i think you're right it's way too early for this highbrow level of
2: conversation oh okay <laughs> I, i'm basically good with fart jokes at the moment and I <laughs> as far as i
0: can take it so
2: you know that two hours of a night that you have to spend on your gameplay you can just you know log in and and get with a bunch of group of people and just
1: Ooh. Somebody went
2: overtime. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Get with a bunch There's of gotta people. There's got to be some kind of end. penalty.
0: Yep. Mm. Um, I'm I'm going to. Uh, apparently, we're now scoring this. I'm going to deduct a point for going overtime.
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> Jeff, I think that the the idea of a space simulation doesn't need to include other people by definition. Then it's no longer just a simulation with you being the only. Independent, and you know what? I didn't start my clock, so I have to. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh, to, double yes. deduction. <laughs> yes, that's a 20% deduction for me. Here we go. Um,
3: pass.